Leicester Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. This week sees the return of Partney Fair in Lincolnshire and 24 hours in farming nationally. It's really a celebration of everything good about British farming and the people behind it, the people that make the industry tick. Sadly, we're also seeing the return of fly tipping. Actually, I'm not sure it's ever gone away. There's a bit of good news, but is it enough? They need to be caught in the first place, I guess, is one of the issues. The maximum amount for these fixed penalty notices will be increasing. We've details of a cereals career development opportunity, crop livestock and grain market reports, and for the last time, Sean Sparling has some important agronomy advice for us. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Don't worry, he'll be back after his holidays. Hello, hope you've had a good week. Dodgy weather again, and with low pressure, it's looking unsettled again. We'll have the forecast for the week ahead at the end of the programme. In the news this week, DEFRA's unveiled a £10 million welfare fund for beef and dairy farmers. Have a look at the DEFRA website for more information on that. The UK and New Zealand have launched a partnership to solve contractor shortages. More details, if that may help you, on the NAAC website. Tesco and Harper Adams have started a joint programme for the next generation of farmers. And the NFU and Openfield have got together with the Cereals Development Programme. Openfield's Richard Kay tells us more. What we're trying to do is offer a fantastic opportunity for anyone interested in combinable crops to improve their understanding of how the industry works and how they can get the most from that industry. So what is it, a course or a series of meetings? How does it work? I guess you'd describe it as a programme and it will run from November through to February 24 and it's got a a range of visits and um, and meetings to to get everyone together and finding out more about our industry. So what's the objective? What does the individual and I guess what does the industry get out of it? So what we're trying to do is help generate and educate future leaders within our industry So attendees will get to build a network with like-minded colleagues from across the UK and the industry gets better informed and more proactive leaders. Who's it aimed at? Farmers, growers, food processors? Is there a particular type of person or type of career background that you're looking at? It's around arable farming, next generation decision makers. So ideally participants are going to be aged between 25 and 35 so people who are out of study, into their first roles, maybe their second roles, um, but are either aspiring to be future leaders or actually running a family farm and know that they're going to be taking on running a family farm in the future. But obviously with a cereals, arable background. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. OK, And this, so this isn't a, a full-time course. This is being done alongside your normal work. Absolutely, yes, yeah. And there's quite a schedule of events and visits in the programme. You get to visit Openfield, Portbury Docks and Mill, a two-day visit to the NFUHQ at Stoneleigh Park, a trip to Moy Park to see how the produce becomes animal feed, trip to Westminster, tour of the Houses of Parliament, visit to John Innes and Simpsons Mott, and, of course, the all-important End of Programme Awards. It's a packed programme. Now, the deadline for this is the end of tomorrow, so we need to be fairly quick. So where does somebody go if they want to find out more and put their application in. If you go to nfuonline.com and just search for Serial Development Programme, it will come straight up and you can read about the programme and more information. If you are interested, drop a covering letter and a CV 
to luke.cox at nsu.org.uk. All right, Richard, thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. We've another big opportunity this week to tell the public all about what really happens on a farm. It's the annual 24 Hours in Farming on Thursday and Friday from Farmer's Guardian. Tell us more, Olivia Midgley. Well, 24 Hours in Farming, which is also known as hashtag Farm 24, highlights to the British public the role of British farmers as the nation's food producers. And it's Farmers Guardian's biggest digital campaign. In fact, I think it's the industry's biggest digital campaign. It gets millions of impressions each year. And it's really a celebration of everything good about British farming and the people behind it, the people that make the industry tick. So it happens on from 5am on August the 3rd to 5am on August the 4th. So it's this Thursday and Friday. And yeah, we can't wait. <laughs> and who are you aiming to get the message across to? Other farmers or the public? Yeah, so it's twofold really, Steve. So obviously Farm 24 wouldn't be Farm 24 without the the farmers and everyone that's involved, so all the ancillary industries. So it's really important that they're behind it. It's all about showing a day in the life, really, of what goes into food production, to the environment that they care for. It's also very public-facing, so we want it to be an opportunity and we see it as an opportunity to communicate with the general public And that's why for this year, we've got 24 farming ambassadors. Strictly Come Dancing winner, Calvin Fletcher, who, you know, we've um, gone into farming. Countryfile presenter, Adam Henson. And also JLS singer, JB Gill, massive pop star a few years ago, but has now got quite a successful and large farming enterprise. And people like that. And, And the reason that we've gone down this route is because they've got such a massive social media reach. And this is all about, you know, trying to get this message across about the industry to as many people as possible. So, you know, we think that by using these famous faces and these these names that people know and love, that we can reach even more people. And, and that's what it's all about, really. And what are you actually wanting farmers to do to be part of this campaign? All we want is for people to show what they're up to on farm for, for 24 hours. So that could be milking cows. It could be letting the stock out. It could be sweeping up. It could be, you know, something, anything as mundane as, as that. Everything that goes into a day. So it's really about kind of taking, showing people that journey from, from farm to fork. So, you know, we have a lot of uh, processors, um, you know, companies like Arla getting involved. Obviously, this event is sponsored by one of the biggest retailers, Morrison's. Um, so we get some great stuff from from Morrison's as well. Obviously, they have um, you know their own farms and food producers that get involved. So it's kind of really telling that story. And also, it, it is the public's opportunity to ask questions. And you know, we've seen some really startling research recently about some school children, uh, the amount of school children not knowing where the food comes from, not realizing that. You know, things like eggs come from chickens, um, you know, which is it, it is scary. Um, but I guess it's it seeing that as an opportunity. And, and why do we need to educate, um, you know, children about where the food comes from um, and then getting in touch? You know, we get a lot of schools that are involved in this as well. So it really is just a, a massive opportunity to promote the industry and everything that's great about it and why we all love it so much. We shall be tweeting and retweeting away like crazy on the farming programme. Olivia, I wish you another very successful 24 hours in farming. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. 
Now time for a man who spends almost every 24 hours watching the crops and advising farmers, our crop doctor, independent agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Not much in the way of agronomy this week, obvious reasons really, other than to say that you're going to want 90% of the pods to be black in the beans before you apply glyphosate. You want the peas to have hard peas in the bottom pods, rubbery hard peas in the middle pod, and peas that really need a real good squeeze in order to split them in the top pods. 30% moisture or less if you're using glyphosate pre-harvest in any crop and don't use glyphosate on a crop that's destined for seed of course and while we're talking about peas I haven't yet seen any mention that there's been an emu granted in 2023 harvest for the use of carfentrazone or spotlight on your seed crops of peas I spoke to PGRO about that last week and the week before and as yet there's no word that it's going to be available for 2023 harvest so you will need to check with the PGRO if you're thinking of going down that route because without that emu it will of course be illegal and the illegal use of any product means you could be forced to destroy your own crop at your own expense so it's really not worth risking anything other than glyphosate as things stand there's still little or no disease really in the sugar beet although the odd fleck of rust has started to show up but it is an odd fleck and it looks like this could be the start of diseases maybe but just keep monitoring that job it still looks like the end of the first week of august will be the plan for me with my first hit of fungicide unless things change so as i say just keep looking keep watching the bbro sacospora map too because that rates the scale of risk from sacospora in your area based upon weather conditions which may or may not be conducive to the proliferation of sacospora anything below a six score and you shouldn't have to worry too much and i think at the last glance we were around a two up here so again you're best to keep your eye on that one Mephen trifluconazole plus flux of peroxide in Revistar and the fluopyram and prothioconazole mixing Caligula they're going to be best for Sacospora but along with the diphenoconazole and azoxystrobin in Angle or Prairigold they'll all do rust and mildew though so do the sums on the products and target the most destructive disease and the most prevalent for you. They're all protectants, by the way. So a few days early is going to be better than a few days late when it comes to controlling sugar beet diseases. The potato blight job as well, taken some managing this year in the spud, not least because if it's not been too windy, it's been too wet to spray. Just an absolute git of an end to the season to go with the absolute git of a beginning and middle of the 2023 season, I suppose. Certainly not a season I'm going to remember with any degree of fondness anyway. Anyway, so this rain has really become a feature of this harvest already and we're still in the blooming rape. Long way to go yet, of course, and it can easily swing round and turn into a sunny, warm and happy harvest time. May as well look forward to that happening sooner rather than later. It'll do what it wants anyway. Uh, 2023 then. As I call 2023 a wrap and head off for a few weeks of R&R to get ready for what I hope will be a much more friendly and benevolent 2024 season, what can I say? It's deja vu, really, because with yet another unprecedented wet week of weather, there's been very little in the way of combining done in the last seven days, apart from a little bit here and a bit done there on the hop, as and when conditions allowed, on those little bits of rape that were maybe starting to shed out. Picking a variety with pod shatter resistance will not be such a bad idea going into this autumn, will it? Because a harvest like this one just serves to show how ineffective some of these pod stickers and sealants can be in the face of delays and heavy rain like we've had just over the last few weeks so an incredibly frustrating time as harvest 2023 still stutters on results disappointing really in the oilseed rate in particular with the numerous but noticeably small seed meaning that weights off the combine are going to be disappointingly low you don't pay many bills with a ton of rape to the acre if the prices stay where they are so my optimistic gut says that the price should of course start to go up rapidly as it becomes clearer to the markets and the traders in charge of the market that the national 
annual crop tonnage will be potentially significantly lower than initially expected because of the size of the seed. Rightly so too, but those who are manipulating and setting those prices are really going to need to pull their fingers out and try an awful lot harder than they are doing at this moment. You owe your growers that at the very least. If you do get any oilseed rate drilled in the ground over the coming few weeks, do be very aware of the cabbage stem flea beetle activity in your particular area and make the call as to whether or not to drill yours accordingly. We don't want a repeat of 2019. There is some work to suggest, by the way, that if you see a lot of cabbage stem flea beetle in the fields that you're harvesting or coming out the trailers or crawling out the sheds as those beetles come out of the ground as you go through, and there are an awful lot of beetles in some areas, then cultivating the field immediately after harvest this may help reduce the adult numbers, but that's not a guarantee that it'll do any good. It's done some good in some cases, but it may do nothing at all. It's just something else to consider. The wheats look pretty good out there, though, for now. Big ears, big berries, but without the vital sunshine at this time of year to ripen them and finish them properly, they're just going to die on their feet rather than ripen. So, once again, just like the Mask of the Red Death from Edgar Allan Poe, the weather holds sway overall. So, with that rain falling yet again, I'm off on my holiday. I'll see you in a few weeks so just be careful out there and I'll keep everything crossed that you have a cracking and very easy harvest let's hope so thanks as ever Sean and enjoy your very well deserved break Lincolnshire's Partney Fair is back this week we'll hear about that next plus get the market reports and weather forecast and there's a bit of good news on that scourge of country life fly tipping but is it enough the Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Fly tipping is, we know, a major scourge of rural life and a major headache and cost to the farmers who are victims. There's a little bit of good news been announced recently, but it remains a big problem. The Farming Programme's Andy Marsh spoke to CLA Regional Director Kath Crowther. It's a a major issue. We know that about two-thirds of our members are impacted each year, some of those multiple times a month. So it's a a major issue, a um, nuisance, a blight on the countryside, and farmers have to pay to clear up any waste that's fly-tipped on their land. And if they don't clear it up quickly... They can actually be prosecuted themselves. We know that people are making money out of it. So those with white vans will turn up at houses who are having a bathroom clear out and offer to take that waste away for a low cost. Unfortunately, a lot of those house owners might not realise that they should be checking for a waste carrier's licence. And if they don't check that, they do have a duty of care and they can be fined themselves. If you're on a country road somewhere and you're dumping something in the middle of a field, particularly late at night, the chances are you're going to get away with it, unfortunately. The average fine, if you're caught, is also just £335 at the moment. So it's clear that we need to impose and enforce penalties that better reflect the seriousness of the crime and to ensure that there's enough resource put into sorting out the issue. So we've had a number of announcements over the last few weeks to help towards the problem. Last year, there were over a million incidents on public lands. That's obviously costing the public purse a huge amount. Local authorities have to pay to dispose of that way. But the reality and the scale of problems is much worse, given that the significant number of fly tipping incidents happen on privately owned lands, probably in areas that those people who are doing it think that they're going to get away with and not be caught. 
So the government is proposing bigger fines. So what you seem to be saying is, yes, yeah, step in the right direction, but you'd like to see them go further. They need to be caught in the first place, I guess, is one of the issues. The maximum amount for these fixed penalty notices will be increasing from £400 to £1,000. Local authorities will actually have the freedom to set the rates that offenders should pay themselves within those limits. But we know the price to our members of disposing of the rubbish is over £1,000 per incident. Again, we think that probably it might not have gone far enough, that, that maximum amount. But we really, really need to make sure that sufficient resource is put into it so that local authorities are enforcing. And you've been telling me there's a consultation about the use of fines. And you may... I guess, feel that farmers really need to get involved in this to get their point of view across. Yeah, so the consultation will look at ring-fencing the receipts from fines to fund the local authorities' enforcement and clean-up activities. I think we'll be focusing on making sure that that money is spent on following up on incidents on private land as well as public land because time and time again we hear of farmers, of CLA members who have found some waste, sometimes with a lot of evidence of who has actually fly-tipped that, perhaps photos of the, the person, and it's not followed up. And we know that local authorities are stretched, but at least ring-fencing the fines will help towards the, the funding of that. We just need to make sure that um, it is spent on waste that is fly-tipped on private land as well as public land. CLA Regional Director Kath Crowther talking to the farming programme's Andy Marsh. We'll see how the markets have performed this week in a minute. First, though, a famous date in the Lincolnshire farming calendar, Partney Fair, returns this Friday. Auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Oliver, just give us a little bit of history on Partney Fair, because it's been going for hundreds of years, hasn't it? Oh, definitely. And this is the uh, sale that used to be originally at Partney itself in the grass field in the village. And it's the traditional sale of breeding sheep and store lambs, which back in the day would have seen thousands of sheep being sold and traded at this time of year on what would have traditionally have always been the 1st of August. However, now it fits in with our market day, so it varies, but it's always the first Friday of August now and has been for the, the last number of years held at Lair. So when did it stop being at Partney and, and why? I believe it was pre, uh, just about foot and mouth and logistics of getting livestock into a field. There's a lot of regulations with operating, whether it's livestock markets or holding sales within a field that bring new challenges and the, the decision to move it to Louth at the time was deemed the correct one. We are at least properly set up for a sale at Louth, aren't you? So what's happening on Friday this week then? So we have our annual Partly Fair breeding sale and show of breeding sheep and store lambs, which has very kindly been sponsored by Farmers Guardian's Mark the Heart. And we will be selling the thick end of over a 1,000, split nearly 50-50 of, of store sheep and breeding sheep. All right. What time does it all get underway on Friday? 12 o'clock, we'll start selling the Envy accredited breeding sheep in the cattle shed, and we will then move outside to sell the non-accredited breeding sheep, followed by the store lambs. Are you still open for more entries? Yes, definitely open to entries right up to the day. Uh, we will not turn anybody away. So anybody with any breeding sheep or looking to source breeding sheep or store lambs, don't hesitate to give one of us a ring. And where can we get hold of you? 
So all our contact details are on the Louth Livestock Market website and there'll be my phone number or Russell's phone number to contact one of us. And you're back selling as normal on Monday? Yes, yeah, definitely. Great stuff. All right, Oliver, thanks. Have a great week. Thank you. Links FM Farming. Market reports. First, Russell Jeans from Louth Livestock Market with a look back at last Monday's sale. Prime cattle, prime steers, all in average, 270.92 pence per kilo. Prime heifers, all in average, 258.19 pence per kilo. A good strong show of prime cattle again this week, meeting with a trade to match. Top on the week with Limsan steers selling to 283.5 pence per kilo, or £1,729, was GLNM car. Leading the pence per kilo in the heifers was JNS Brooks at 276 pence per kilo, 1,515 pounds. Prime lambs 454 forward, SQQ 280.56 pence per kilo, all in average 278.91 pence per kilo. Slightly more lambs on the week with an increase in SQQ to 280.56 pence per kilo, making Louth livestock market some 20 pence above the national average SQQ figure. Topping the market this week in pounds per head with H. Smith & Sons along with WHRE & Sons, both selling to the market high of 150 per head. Pence per kilo this week was led by H. Smith & Sons to 313 pence per kilo. Scrivelsby Farms Limited selling a great run to 305, 302, 295 and 289 pence per kilo. With P.A. Smith seeing 305 pence per kilo. Cull Sheep, 89 forward with an all-in average of 116 pounds and 72 pence. An increase in numbers for the U section this week with a slight rise in price and an increase in the all-in average. Topping the week was SL Worrell with a pen of three U's to 150 pounds, along with R Wood meeting the same top price of the week. Scrivelsby Farms Limited had a good run with 140, 138, 135, 134 and 130 pounds per head. JB Coupland and the Sun also selling to 140. Thank you, Russell, and to the grain markets with Open Fields, Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices surged higher to start the week as news emerged that Russia had attacked port facilities on the Danube, which was seen as the alternative route to market for the Ukrainian products now that Russia had ended the Black Sea Grain Initiative. This is a serious escalation to the conflict, which will deter ship owners and insurers to increase logistical costs significantly. There have also been fresh attacks on Odessa. The time it will take to repair the damage to the export facilities will also need to be taken into account, which could be weeks, if not months. Russia said that any vessel they suspect may be carrying military equipment into the Ukrainian ports is a legitimate target, whilst also laying mines in the Black Sea. Ukraine responded, saying that they could also target Russian vessels. A fresh attack on Kirkbridge could not be ruled out, which is the gateway to the Azov Sea, through which 30% of the Russian exports flow. Reduced Ukrainian exports are a known market factor, whereas a major impediment to the Russian wheat exports has certainly not been priced into the market yet. With harvest ongoing in the Northern Hemisphere and a big Brazilian maize crop currently being combined, the market is not short of supply in the near term, which is keeping consumers both domestically and internationally relaxed. Factors to consider going forward are major global export of wheat supplies are shrinking, Russian and Ukrainian export facilities are being challenged, and the crops are being written down in Russia, Kazakhstan, Canada and the EU, where rain is delaying harvest in the east and the north. So looking at barley, the winter barley harvest continues at a slow pace. It is difficult to know how much has been cut so far, but our estimate would be 65-70% to 70% in the south and east Anglia, 40% in Yorkshire and the Midlands, and 30% in Scotland. So plenty of samples still to see. 
There are some very usable samples, but at the same time, there are samples which are down at a 50% retention. Nitrogen levels are not a problem and across all samples average 1.58%. Some spring barley has been cut so far and looks good, apart from some very early samples on light land, which is encouraging. Nitrogen levels are low and retentions are above 90%, but it's early days. The recent heavy rain showers still affect the quality on winter barley and there have been some reports of germination and sprouting in the fields. Most of the spring barley is still at the stage where the weather pattern won't damage grain quality. Having said that, we need the weather to improve so harvest can resume and once the rain stops it needs to stay dry as the last thing the spring barley needs is warm temperatures and more rain. Oilseed rate, we have seen some profit taking this week after the Russian attacks on Ukraine drove prices even higher. The additional pressure coming from wetter forecast across the Midwest for the next two weeks. Traders continue to monitor the US Midwest weather closely as soybeans approach their prod setting phase in August. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for August off the combine 181 to 191, November 190 to 201, February 195 to 205 and May 24 198 to 208. Milling wheat premiums are circa 60 pounds. Feed barley for August off the combine 157 to 167, November 169 to 179, February 172 to 182, and May 24, 175 to 185. Malting barley premiums are circa 50 pounds, depending on quality. And lastly, oilseed rate for August 350 to 360 off the combine, November 360 to 370, February 363 to 373, and May 24, 366 to 376. Thank you very much. Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. The unsettled wet weather continues under low pressure and cloudy skies for most of this week. Just a light southwesterly today, highs of 18 Celsius, but heavy rain from this afternoon. Continuing overnight into Monday, which will be similar. A couple of degrees cooler on Tuesday with the breeze lightning and more light rain. The second half of the week sees light and variable winds. Daytime highs in the upper teens and the rain continuing. Well, that's it for this week's farming programme. Thank you for your company as usual. Next Sunday, we'll look back at the first half of 2023 from a financial perspective. What can we do to make the second half better? We'll consider the importance of crop rotation and in the wake of Farm Safety Week, talk about farm injuries and ATVs. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week and don't forget your brolly. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.